This is an ABC podcast. So, Tegan, how are your knees these days? My knees are crunchy. They have been for many years. They don't hurt, but they do sound terrible. And I, I do think sometimes that that might be a portend, a bad put. What? How do you use the word portend in a sentence, Norman? Portent, portentous. You're going to get me with my Scottish accent again. <laughs> Disney bode well is what we would say in Glasgow. Disney bode well. Disney bode well, indeed. But now, you know, I'm, I've doubled the amount of weight I can pull on this knee, so I'm going well. Are you, how are your buttocks going? Tight. <laughs> Good to know. If that doesn't get knee cast uh, commissioned by the ABC, I don't know what will. Well, we have buttock cast, gluteal cast. Anyway, onwards and upwards with CoronaCast, a show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 24th of August, 2022. And Norman, when I'm looking at the charts of what's happening with COVID in Australia these last few weeks, I see good things. I'm sure that when we start talking about them, you will pivot quickly to talk about the bad things. But it does feel like the case numbers have peaked, like we said a few weeks ago, that perhaps the deaths have peaked, maybe, and that we're really kind of getting to a state, and probably the best stage we've been at with in terms of numbers since we opened the borders at the beginning of the year. Yeah, this, these are the best numbers really coming. We're coming to the best numbers since January of this year, which is fantastic news. So we've come through BA1 and we've come back into BA5 and now we're coming out of BA5. So this is really good. Enjoy it while we can. Pandemic over. All over, as some of the commentators would like to believe. And I'd love to believe it too, as would you, Tegan. Well, you know that I would. One thing that was really heartening when I was looking back was the case fatality rate. So the number of people who are dying compared to the number of cases that we've confirmed is a fraction of what it was in 2020. Uh, it, in 2020, it was somewhere around 3%, uh, which is brutal, even though our case rate was quite low at that at that time, there weren't very many people catching it. Now we have a lot of people catching it. But the case fatality rate, according to D.B. Raven, who's one of the data journalists in this space, is now 0.12. Not that comforting if you're in that group or someone that you love is, but literally a 30th of what it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, and it's vaccination, it's antivirals, more effective treatments being available when you are severely ill. So yes, it's it's great that we've actually brought that right down. But as we said before, once you get to very large numbers, um, even a small case fatality rate like that adds up to quite large absolute numbers, which is what we've had during this, particularly this BA5 peak over the last few weeks and months. So with this wave tailing off, what does the next six months look like? I know you've spoken before and we've spoken to experts who say there'll be new variants, it'll come back again, but to what sort of heights are we expecting to see it come back and in what sort of time period? Well, nobody I know is predicting anything. Everybody's hoping that this is it. But the history of this virus is that that's not it. And uh, a new variant will emerge in the next six months, which will be significantly immune evasive because there's still large parts of the world where they are under immunised, large amounts of virus circulating. And we even had large amounts of virus circulating in countries like Australia and elsewhere which possibly could create the environment for a new variant to emerge, particularly if it goes into the large group of people in the community who are immune-suppressed. And what we're talking about here is people with cancer, people with organ transplants, people with HIV, and so on. 
and it's, it's it, the virus goes to very large numbers in people like that and can mutate and spin out again. And then you've got the opportun- opportunity sometimes for the virus to go into animals and come back out, and that's what we're hoping doesn't happen here. So if we're really lucky, nothing else will happen. If it goes according to previous patterns, by Christmas there'll be another variant. But we are getting better at treating it. In the, as we say, the case fatality rate is so much lower than it was. At what stage does it become one of the many diseases that we're always being vigilant for and that there are public health interventions for, but not that kind of top-level, red-alert, pandemic level? I don't think we'll know that for a while because the virus is still potentially mutating in a way that they really haven't seen before. I mean, they have, they have with other coronaviruses, but not in a pandemic form. So we just don't know that. I mean, if you go through a long period with very little mutation, then that would be great. And that would be a sign that we can just take a breather on this. But that's not the way the virus has behaved. Because this virus is not behaving the way other viruses do, we're not developing much of a herd immunity to infection itself. The virus is going to continue to mutate potentially, mutate around our immunity and the vaccine and allow reinfection. And then you've got to factor in waning immunity to the vaccine. So at the moment, the vaccine is doing very well in terms of severe disease protection. Hence, what you said earlier, which is the low case fatality rate. It's also got a relatively low hospitalization rate, although BA5 was up a little bit on previous ones because people were getting more sick, but not sick enough to get into ICU. If the next variant is a bit more immunovasive and a bit more virulent, we could have problems. But we just got to wait and see. We don't know. So we remain alert but not alarmed. But, of course, there's more to COVID than just the acute phase of the illness, which we were talking about, if you're lucky, unlucky enough to land in hospital with it. There's, of course, long COVID, which we've talked about at length before. But it's not just physical symptoms, is it? There's also neurological symptoms associated with long COVID. And there's actually been a study that's just been um, published recently in Lancet Psychiatry that looks at just how common this is. And when we're talking about neurological symptoms, we're not just, we're talking about things like mood disorders and anxiety disorders, which this study found didn't sort of stick around. But some of the stuff that they're saying did stick around were pretty scary things like psychotic disorders, cognitive deficit, which I suppose is brain fog, things like dementia, epilepsy and seizures. And this is this is looking back retrospectively over people over two years, more than a million people. Yes. You've got to talk a little bit about the how this study was done so that you understand its strengths and weaknesses. They did notice, by the way, with SARS-1 and MERS, that they had neurological effects too. So there was an increased risk of neurological disease, dementia and so on, and maybe psychiatric illness. But the problem with the studies with SARS-1 and MERS was that they didn't have properly controlled populations. So you didn't really, you couldn't really re- compare it reliably. And there couldn't have been enough people either to actually have large enough sample sizes. Yes, so several thousand cases rather than millions. So what they've done here is that and, and of course, at the beginning of a pandemic, and you don't know what's going to happen next, nobody's going to say, well, we're going to start monitoring a million people and watch them moving forward to see what happens to them, which is the best kind of study. But you're not in that position when you're panicking, not panicking, but you're, running, you're racing around trying to control a pandemic. So now they're taking a look back, a retrospective study. Now, retrospective studies are never as good as when you follow people forward because you can never quite tie down what's happened to people when you look back in time. Nonetheless, that's what we've got. This is probably the best study to date. 
And what they've done is they've taken, they know what people diagnoses are from electronic health records in various countries, but dominantly in the United States. They know what they had before COVID-19, so they know they can eliminate people who had a neurological or psychiatric diagnosis before COVID-19 came along. And then they've got a large group from the same database, they've got a large group of people who weren't infected with COVID-19 but did have a respiratory infection. So what was the difference between the two in terms of diagnostic rates? Not perfect, but the best to date. And what they showed was, so here's the good news, depression and anxiety did go up after infection with COVID-19, but went back down again within a month or two. So whether that was lockdown, psychological effects of COVID-19, hard to tell. But what was worrying was that over a period of two years of follow-up, now not everybody was followed for two years, so they took them in six-month grabs, if you like, is that there was a significant increase, not huge, but a significant increase in diagnoses like cognitive deficits, so that's like brain fog, dementia, psychotic disorders, seizures. And the troubling thing was that the risk didn't go down. So the risk remained the same. And in fact, we've talked about this with another study, which looked at the risk of uh, getting, I think, particularly cardiac side effects, and the risk of cardiac side effects in particular remained the same when you, when you followed people through with each infection. So what this study shows is that the risk of certain conditions, both neurological and psychiatric, go up, and that stays up. It doesn't seem to go down. And that's a worry because even if it's a tiny percentage of people who get COVID-19, the number grows with time. The good news was with children, it was more benign. But they still, though, got some of these neurological effects. But the risk declined after about a year and a half. So low risk in children, but it was measurable, but did decline with time. In summary, a lot of roads are leading to the fact that a proportion of people after SARS-CoV-2 infection do get neurological and psychiatric effects. They do not seem to decline with time, or the risk does not seem to decline with time. What about... Did it, did it vary based on which variant you got? They said it did, that there was an uptick with Delta. And although with Omicron, the deaths declined, they reckoned the risk remained the same. But a commentary on this study, which uh, looked at its strengths and weaknesses, said they weren't really in a position to make a good analysis of the, the, the variants. So let's stay in the virus neighbourhood, but just take a step away from coronavirus for a second. Monkeypox is the other thing that's really making headlines around the place at the moment. We're seeing local transmission in Australia in multiple states. Are we doing a good job of controlling it? How do we know if we're doing a good job or not? Well, really by the rate of increase of community transmission. It's COVID. It's not, I mean, it's not COVID, thank goodness, but it is a virus that spreads through the air as well as by contact. It's not sexually transmissible. But it is transmitted by close contact, which is why it, it looks like an STD at, at first sometimes. Yes, simply because of close, of close skin contact. However, we don't really know the extent to which it's out of the box and spreading in the community, whether, say, the 20-odd cases in Victoria at the time that we're speaking uh, really represents 50 or 100. Who knows how many more people are out there? But we all we know from COVID-19 that um, you only need a few to start it off. And in overseas, they, they're, they're going much faster than we are. 
But once it gets going, it really gets going with exponential growth. So monkeypox, there's so many differences to COVID, it's not really fair to compare them. But the benefits that it has against COVID is that the incubation period is longer, gives you longer to to contact trace people and sort of put them or isolate them. It's not as wildly infectious as COVID is. Is the game still elimination? Well, the, the aim is control. Um, so that you pick up cases and you control them. So the big, the long so what's different is we've got treatments and we've got a vaccine. The trouble is we haven't got enough of the third generation vaccine at the moment in the country. Is this the smallpox vaccine that is effective against it as well? Yes, and the long incubation period allows you to ring fence an infection in theory around an, a person who's infected. So you've got a person who's diagnosed, you get all their contacts, you isolate them and you immunise them and that immunisation should reduce the rate, of, the rate of transmission of the infection. It won't reduce it entirely because it's not necessarily what they call a sterilising vaccine, but it, it, it will help and it will stop them getting the disease. And once you've got the pustules, you are obviously more infectious. And if you can stop symptomatic disease, then that's a, that's a really good thing. So that's the skin lesions that people get. How will we know when we've done it or when will, when will we know that it's too late? Well, if you look at the trajectory overseas, it's gone very quickly and uh, to really quite significant numbers. Not significant numbers in terms of the world's population, but significant numbers in terms of an increase. And we haven't seen that increase at least yet. And you know, if we go a few months and we've only had 20 or 30 cases a week, then we're doing pretty well. Um, it's not well for the people who've got it because it's a really problematic illness with a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. So there's, there's, still a, there's still a chance to, to lock this thing down? Yes. Well, Norman, as much as I'd like to stay in chat, that is all we have time for on this week's Coronacast. Yep, and we'll see you next week. See you then. 